think I'll have Abby open for me anytime I have to speak. I get, some, I get a round of applause before I'm even up here. That's great. I had the privilege of baptizing Abby last year, so that was a great honor to see her using God's gifts that she's uh, been given. Um, forgot to mention that Neil this morning is in Worcester with our church plant there, a church on Seven Hills, and Shane Caldwell was um, interrogated yesterday by a group of pastors as part of his ordination, and this morning was that service, so he's down there participating in that, so... Um, I have the privilege of speaking this morning. If those of you don't know me, my name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of Family and Adults, and I often hear people say, what in the world does that mean? Well, uh, my job is to provide a comprehensive, overarching ministry to family and adults. I oversee the children's ministry. We provide some programming to families, and I attempt to provide some ministries to adults. Some of the ways in which we target the families is we have parent roundtable discussion nights like Jesus and sports or how to have family devotions. We have family movie nights where we just want the child and the parent to do something together in the same room rather than in different rooms doing different things or being in different fields doing different activities. It's often striking to me how many families don't sit together as a whole family more than one day a week, even if at that, let alone go to grandma's house after Sunday service that many of you may remember doing. My focus on family has basically three initiatives. One is to strengthen parental skills. Two is to strengthen the bond between a child and a parent so that there's influence actually happening. And to strengthen multi-generational influence. In my opinion, these three things help ensure that the next generation will know about God and will know about the works that He does generation after generation. Some of this is based upon Psalm 145, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read the first seven verses, and I want you to listen closely to the progression of Psalm 145. I exalt you, my God, the King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. I will honor your name forever and ever. Yahweh is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. It starts first with us. We have a personal relationship with God, and we need to work on that relationship every day. Verse 4, one generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wonderful works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts and will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your greatness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. We have to catch all the, I will do my part. I will praise the Lord every day. And then as we speak about those things to the next generation, that's how we evangelize, if I can use that term, the next generation. They will then proclaim the power of God's awe-inspiring acts. They will give a testimony of His greatness long after we are gone. If the next generation will proclaim God, it's primarily because the previous generation is willing to talk about God to them. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We must not hide them from their children, but tell the future generation the praises of the Lord, His might, and the wonderful works that He has done. If we're going to be able to work on parenting skills and work on the bond between a child and parent, then I think we have to work on strengthening the multi-generational influence. I think we have to teach the older generation to be bold and to speak the truth, not just their opinion, but to speak the truth with love 
to the next generation, to be willing to enter into their world. And I think we have to teach the younger generation that there's value in listening and that there's value in serving those who have much to teach us. And that kind of brings us into the adult ministry part. The main areas of adult ministry for us are through life groups and our adult Bible Sunday schools. The goal of these environments is to help us grow in our faith as we learn more and more about God. I mean, how can we proclaim truths to the next generation if we don't even know what those truths are? How can we proclaim those truths if we aren't willing to live them out in our own lives? So you and I need to learn about God. Learning about God needs to be important for us. People know what's important in your life by the words you use and the schedules you choose. People know what's important in your life by the words you use and the schedules you choose. What you talk about and what you do shows what's important to you. Now the place where we gain knowledge and insight about God is right here in the Bible. The Bible is God's message to us. It gives us some historical stories as examples of what to follow and what not to follow. The Bible is a record of God working in the world throughout generation and generation. The Bible is God's revelation to us about himself, and he also tells us things about ourselves. Now, I know that there's a lot of people in the world who don't see the Bible this way. They don't see the Bible as God's word to us. In fact, they see that God reveals himself in many different ways and even by many different names. They have their own special literature that they feel that it is the word from God, such as the Muslims have the Quran and the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they have their Book of Mormon. So it's important for us to ask ourselves, where are we getting the information about God that we're passing off to the next generation? Where are we getting the truths about God that we want the next generation to know about? And I know that even if we claim to believe that this is the Word of God, that we can come to a conclusion that we don't believe the same thing. There's different understandings, different interpretations, and really different applications for us today. So this morning, I don't want to talk so much about those differences, but I want to talk about how we can get into the Word so that you know what it says firsthand. We could talk about the purpose of proper interpretation. We can give you some study aids to kind of help you understand some of the types of genres and some biblical context. I mean, reading the Bible doesn't have to be difficult, and a little bit of background knowledge really goes a long way. And this is what happens in our adult Sunday Bible classes. It happens in our Women of Hope Bible study. It also happens in our life groups, which in life groups we talk more about uh, application of the information as we share life with one another. Um, that's how we talk about it because much of the time we don't think about what we believe. We just do. But what you believe really drives what you do. We don't think about the beliefs and the value systems behind what we do. We just kind of do those things. So this morning, I want us to spend some time in the longest chapter in the Bible. And I promised it wouldn't be the longest message that you would hear, but it would be the, in the longest chapter in the Bible. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. If you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, in the chairs, this is on page 517. There's some interesting facts about Psalm 119. One, we already said it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Two chapters before that in Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible with only two verses. So if you're going to memorize a chapter in the Bible, probably go with Psalm 117. 
Psalm 118, many people believe to be the chapter in the middle of the Bible. So if you took your Bible, you didn't have a table of contents, you didn't have any maps or concordances, and you split it right open in the middle, you would land on Psalm 118, Psalm 119, somewhere around there. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. There's eight verses for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet, so there's 22 sections. Some of your Bibles may have those sections broken out, and they have the little characters of the Hebrew letters on the top of them. If you're using the Bible in front of you, you'll see those there. That's the Hebrew alphabet. Now, what's interesting is that each verse in that section begins with that letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So we have a, a graphic, and the Hebrew reads right to left, and it starts over here in the bottom corner, 119. The first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. And you'll see over here in verse 1, the first eight verses all begin with Aleph. 9 through 16 all begin with the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Bet, and on and on, Gimel and Dalet. And so I find that very interesting. Eight verses, each starting with the Hebrew letter in the alphabet. Now, Psalm 119 is not the only psalm that does this. There's other psalms, 111, 112. Um, Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman is the alphabetic acrostic. It's in Nahum chapter 1. It's also four out of five chapters of Lamentations all use this alphabetic acrostic. Now, some believe that not only is it to be poetic, but it can help us in memorization. We're going to talk about that towards the end of the service. But if you're going to memorize 176 verses, maybe you can find a neat way to do that. And so... Not only does it help in memorization, but it talks about the completeness or the extensiveness of the topic that it's talking about. It's talking about this subject from A to Z, so to speak. All right? So nearly every verse in Psalm 119 talks about the importance of God's word and its usefulness to the writer. The psalmist sometimes seems to say the same thing, but in different ways. In fact, he uses eight different words to talk about the teachings of God. So we're going to look at the first section. I encourage you to take a pen or a pencil and circle the different words that the writer uses. If you're using one of the Bibles that we have in the front of the chairs, you can write in it and then you take it home. All right. So starting in verse 1. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the law of the Lord. There's your first one. Verse 2. Happy are those who keep his decrees. And seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They follow his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. Now, the writer is not saying that you're going to be happy when you follow a bunch of strict laws, rules, commands, rituals. But what he's saying is we need to develop a heart that craves to live a life that wants to know God and God's ways. In fact, the next section, the bet section, we're going to look at the different verbs that he uses to describe how he feels about God's word. So you can grab your pen again and underline the verbs that he uses to describe how he feels about God's ways. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you 
Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He's saying that we need to learn to delight in God's word, to treasure it, to seek, to want to obey it. Then we will be blessed as God is doing a work in our lives. Now, we won't be able to take a time to read through the entire psalm this morning, but I encourage you to do that on your own this week. If you would read one of the sections in the morning, a section in the afternoon, and a section in the evening, and then you'll have to have an extra snack at the end of the week, you could read through the entire psalm in just one week. So you can have it with your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I like that illustration because John in Revelation in the New Testament and the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament is told to literally eat this book and that it would be sweeter than honey in their mouths. And that's what this psalmist says in verse 103. 103, he says, How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. And that's one of the, another aspect that I like about life groups. And you're, you're in one of the life groups that I lead. We encourage a time where we eat together. We find food to be an important aspect in the Bible. The early church got together and they shared food with one another. They call them love feasts or agape meals. Today we just call them potlucks. Everybody brings something to share and everybody shares and what everyone had to eat. For some people that works great because they're coming straight from work. So for about the first 20, 30 minutes of a life group, we're talking about life with one another, what happened this week, and we're sometimes talking about how good something is that somebody brought. We're exchanging recipes. There's this great interaction about life with one another over food. Now, what I would like to see is that as we move into the Bible study, there's this same interaction. What usually happens is there's a lot of chatter, and then when you talk about the Bible, everyone gets real quiet. I know some of us, we feel like we don't know anything about the Bible, and so we're just going to be quiet. Some of us, we just like to sit and learn. And yeah, there's value in, in learning and listening. But sometimes I wonder whether we spend more time thinking about what we're going to bring for food than we have prepared ourselves to eat God's word. See, to eat God's word means that we're chewing on it. We're contemplating. We're thinking about it. We're thinking about what we're eating. We, we're, we're recognizing all the different flavors. We're allowing it to go down deep in, inside of us. Some of us, we just open our mouths wide and we're just shoveling in the Bible knowledge. We haven't really savored how good God's word to us and to really apply it in our lives. I think some of us are like wine tasters. We take a sip, we swish it around, and then we just, we spit it out. We're here, we're listening, we're learning. There's this awakening. We have this, this honesty that something needs to happen in our lives, but there's no action. That's a reference to our previous series called AHA, A-H-A. If you didn't catch that series, you can listen to it online on our website. Sometimes I think eating God's word is like when kids don't want to try something they haven't had before, and it looks weird. We say, well, just take a bite. You may like it. And you can imagine the kids, right? They take the tiniest, tiniest bite they can ever can. Ugh. And you're saying, no, 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 take a real bite. You're not going to know what it tastes like until you take a big bite. 
And for some of us, we've taken the Bible, we open it up, we point at a verse and we read it, and we go, I have no idea what that means. We've tried it. It seems hard to understand. It's, it's tough to chew. And we say, eh, I don't get it. It's just not for me. Reading the Bible takes a habit of constantly reading it to get a hunger and a thirst for God's word. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us who desires for us to know more about God, to know God's word. And the more that we spend reading it, the more we understand what God is saying, the more we understand that this book is one book. It's one volume rather than 66 random books all just stuck together. The more that we, we read it, the more the Holy Spirit can recall truths when we're in the midst of troubles and trials and tribulations. In verse 20, he says, I am continually overcome by longing for your judgments. Why would he be so excited about knowing that God judges? Well, in verse 21, he says, You rebuke the proud, the accursed, who wander from your commands. So he's excited that God judges those who don't do what God wants? How is that exciting? Well, it begins to help him understand what's going on in this world, to help him understand what's going on with him. Because he understands that those who are outside of God's authority, that's not freedom. And some of us know what that is like when we have our own selfish ways and we're with someone else who is selfish and they want their own way. And when the two come together, there's bound to be trouble. When you have an argument with your children, when you and your wife are sharing the same bed, but you've got cold backs towards each other. When your boss needs to cut some jobs, but you know that he just got a pay increase. You know that life outside of God's will and authority gets more entangled and messier and more confusion. And for the writer of Psalm 119, he wasn't living in this God bubble. He had his own problems. There were people who were plotting to harm him. I want you to take your pen or pencil again, and I want you to put a dot or a dash next to some of these verses because we're going to come back to them. Look at verse 23. He says, though princes sit together speaking against me. There's a group of people just talking about him behind his back. You ever had that? Verse 25, my life is down in the dust. Verse 28, I am weary from grief. Jump over to verse 61. Though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me. Over to verse 85. The arrogant have dug pits for me. Verse 87. They almost ended my life on earth. Verse 95, the wicked hope to destroy me. And that's really only half the psalm. Not only is life difficult sometimes, but there seems to be people in your life that make life more difficult. Have you ever had people in your life that makes life more difficult? Some of you have coworkers that make life more difficult. Some of you have doctors that just don't seem to care about your wealth and health as much as you want them to. Then there's insurance. They won't cover this. They'll only cover this. And then some of you have an ex, and you know that their only job is to make your life miserable, right? They make your life quite interesting. So you know what it's like to have life difficult. So what do you do in those situations? Well, the writer says what he does in those situations right in those same verses. 
So the ones that you marked, let's go back to them. Verse 23. Though princes sit together speaking against me, when those are talking about, bad about me, your servant will think about your statutes. I think about what God has said in his word. Is that what you do? Verse 25. My life is down in the dust. He prays, give me life through your word. Verse 28, I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. Verse 61, though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your law. Verse 85, the arrogant have dug pits for me. They violate your instruction. He's saying, They're the ones who aren't doing what God wants them to do. They will get their just rewards from God. I can't control that. But what I can control is my own focus. My focus needs to remain on God and in his word. Verse 87, they almost ended my life, but I did not abandon your precepts. They may be doing the wrong thing, but I'm going to do the right thing. Verse 95, the wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. The word of God gives him advice. It gives him counsel. It gives him direction. Now, of course, the psalmist isn't saying that he always gets this right. He's not always getting into God's word like he wants to. I want us to look at verses 33 through 40. This is the fifth section. Hey, is the Hebrew letter. I want you to look at what the psalmist prays for. Verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, and I will take pleasure in it. Turn my heart from your decrees and not to material gain. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. The writer knew that not only did he need God's help to understand his word, but he needed God's help to want to understand his word. In fact, the last verse of Psalm 119, 176 says, I wander like lost sheep. I don't get it right every time. So I need God to do a work of transformation in my life if I'm ever going to live on a a life of godliness and wisdom. He knows that he needs God to do a a transformation in his life to, to keep his eyes away from what this world has to offer with material gain and riches. He knows that life can get so easily distracted away from God because we begin to worry about our health and about our finances and about our careers. I see so many young people get trapped into thinking about their careers. They work as much as they can to make a name for themselves. And so they become highly career driven. And there's many older folks who have never broken away from that single mindedness. And he's saying, God, I need your help to keep my attention on things that matter. I like how in verse 38 he says, confirm what you have said to your servant. These are great things to ask for. We ask God to give us proof, so to speak, that this is working. 
I need some confirmation, God, that this is really true. It's like in Mark chapter 9, there was a father who brought his son who was possessed by a spirit to the disciples of Jesus. They weren't able to cast this spirit out, so they took the son to Jesus. And Jesus was really kind of upset that the disciples weren't able to do this. He calls them an unbelieving generation. And he looks at the father and says, everything is possible to the one who believes. The father replied, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. I think all of us, we, we can believe that God is real. We can believe that God is good. We know that doing things God's way is best, but sometimes our belief is strong about that, and other times our faith seems weak. And this isn't just towards those who don't know much about God. I think every believer has times where their, their faith is strong and other times where their faith is not so strong. And some people believe that Psalm 119 is written by the prophet Jeremiah. If you know anything about his life, you know that his life was not easy. God had given him a specific message, a specific task. But no one wanted to listen to anything he had to say. He was thrown in prison, and he was given reason after reason to doubt that God even knew what he was talking about. So my hope for you today is that you are encouraged to ask God to help you spend more and more time in his word and more and more time with him this summer. One of the things that I've done inside your bulletin, and if you didn't get a bulletin, they're on some tables as you leave, there's this 2015 Summer Scripture Memory Challenge. There's 13 weeks in the summer. It started last week on Father's Day, and it lasts through September. But there's 13 different passages. Many of them highlight the importance of God's Word in our life. And my challenge to you is to try to memorize as many as possible. If you didn't start last week, that's fine. I think you'll be able to catch up. The first one, Psalm 27.1. You're putting me on the spot. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27.1. So you have a chance to catch up. At the end of the summer, uh, you can go to head-to-head with me, see how many you've memorized. It challenges me to memorize the 13 passages, right? And uh, we'll have some prizes for those of you who can memorize some of those. But... No matter how many you're able to memorize, the the challenge is just to get into God's word. And on the back, there's some scripture memory tips, such as just to pray daily, asking God to help his word remain in you. Maybe you can challenge the family or life groups to to, uh, try to memorize as many as they can. There's a couple suggestions for apps if you want to use your phone or your tablet. Ultimately, it just comes into devoting some brain power and some thought. And uh, I've got four kids. They stole my brain, so I'm right there with you. Trying to, trying to find some brain power to do that thing. But no matter how many you're able to memorize, I just think that the psalmist says in verse 1 and 2, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. God said, you're going to be more happier when you spend time in my word. And I have yet to meet anybody who said that they wouldn't mind some more happiness in their life. So I challenge you to get in God's word, all right? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for giving us your word, for telling us who you are and helping us understand who we are, what's going on in this world, and how you are at work. God, we thank you that you have preserved your word throughout the generations and the centuries, that the word that we have 
is the same word that was spoken so many years ago. God, give us the desire to know you more, to know your word more. Help us to understand how we can do that in our schedules when we're already so busy. How can we fit that in? How can we spend more time in your word, spend more time with you? And then throughout the day, as we're thinking about so many different things, can we give some of our thoughts to memorizing these things so that we can just recall them when we really need them and that we can know what the right thing to do is and how not to sin against you. God, we need your help to want to know you more. God, we thank you for being active in this world, being active through Hope Chapel. It's through your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.